Okay, turn with me in your Bible, and I don't know if you guys are going to have it because I didn't put it in the notes, but turn with me to Revelation chapter 17. Um, This morning, I'm preaching two messages. This is part two because we did part one in the first uh, service. I'll encourage you, go back and listen to that one online. It sets this one up pretty clearly. But we're we're preaching uh, this morning on overcoming Babylon. You know, it's normal Sunday morning fair, overcoming Babylon. <laughs> but I want to just tell you, I have been gripped in my heart the last two months in a, in a very significant way, and I've experienced in my times of prayer a lot of travail, a lot of groaning, a, a, a lot of tears, as the Lord has been emphasizing to me our need to awaken to the urgency of the hour that we're living in. And we're living in a moment right now where there is a diluting influence released in the earth, and that influence is heightening and coming to maturity. And at the same time that that influence is is on the rise, the call to the church is to come out of that influence. And at the same time, as I just look across the body of Christ and I look across the church, especially in our nation, I realize that while we're in a moment when we must be awakened, we must come, uh, come awake, that many are falling asleep. And I have, a, I have a burden in my soul over this point today. So I want to do the most pastoral thing I can do today, which is ask you to wake up, to put truth in front of you and call you to alert and call you to awaken. Somebody says, well, that doesn't sound very pastoral. Oh, it's the most pastoral thing I can do. If I stand up here as a shepherd and I go ahead and I pat us all on the back and tell us how good we're doing while the tide of the spirit of the age is rising in the earth and and, and we're not called to alert and awake, I I have done a disservice to you and I haven't been obedient to the Lord. But what I wanna do today is I wanna call us into readiness. I wanna call us into to having a sharpness on our spirit and call us out of anything that's deluding us and inebriating us in the spirit of the age. Amen. So Revelation 17, let me just set it up and we'll read these verses one through six. In Revelation 17, what we see is this. We see this image that John the apostle saw in this encounter that he was having. We see this image of this harlot riding a scarlet beast. And this is is a grotesque image. The Bible is very, very explicit about this this image. And and it's this woman who is dressed in fine clothes and, and, and purple and jewels. She's holding a goblet in her hand. She's riding this monster, this beast, and she's drunk out of what she's drinking in this goblet. And the Bible tells us that she's drinking abominations and she's drinking the blood of the saints. Now, this is our Bible. And she has this name across her, Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. Let's look at the passage right now. Revelation 17, 
Verse one, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. Verse six, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Now, so often when we talk about the end of the age, people, they, they, they begin to worry. They get concerned. They, they think about, uh, you know, 666 or the mark of the beast. And, and they, they, you know, a lot of people, uh, what they do is they'll actually put aside the book of Revelation. They won't even read it. And they'll just put it in a category of, you know, that's just for the scholars. That's not for regular people. But I'm convinced of this, that the Lord wrote the Bible for all the regular people. He didn't write it for people with doctorates in theology because there weren't any. Hello. He wrote it for the regular people to be able to read it and to be able to understand it. And so then when we see something like this, this image that we see, this is a, a, a figurative image that represents a true reality. It's a, it's a pictorial that shows us something that's legitimate. And what we're seeing here is a picture of an influence that is going to pervade the earth at the end of the age. This woman that we're seeing, Babylon, this harlot Babylon, this is the spirit of the age. That's what we're seeing embodied in this, this image. The spirit of the age. And what's startling is, well, there's many pieces. She rides in on a beast. And that beast is the spirit of Antichrist. And this harlot is being carried by the, the spirit of Antichrist. And the scripture is clear. She is committing fornication with all the kings of the nations. It speaks of a demonic spiritual influence that will fill the earth and come to maturity in the generation before the Lord returns. This is not something that happens in the last seven years of the age. This is something that comes to fruition before we even talk about great tribulation. Hear me that this harlot influence, this spirit of Babylon fills the earth. And what's, I mean, what's stunning, what's startling, so many things, but she's drunk on the blood of the saints. See, in America, we think, oh, well, that's gotta be for some time in the future because we don't have martyrs in America, really. But beloved, this is where I wanna call you to alert. Right now, in the earth, there are more martyrs for faith in Jesus than there ever have been in the history of the, of the world. 
right now. We're living in a time when it's more dangerous to be a Christian than ever before in history. And so where we, what we're looking at right now is the maturity of this harlot influence that's happening across the nations. And in America, the, the um, <laughs> I thought he was coming on the stage, I'm sorry. <laughs> In America, the expression of it is a drunkenness. It's an inebriation. See, we see this harlot. She had committed fornication with all the kings of the nations. But then it says, but the nations were drunk on the wine. You know what I know about drunk people? They'll swear they're not drunk all the way to passing out. I'm not drunk. And they, they will drink completely till they're vomiting and passed out, telling you the whole time they're not drunk. No, it's true. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You were there that time before Jesus. And it's real. And you come under an inebriating influence, and all you know is it feels good, and you want more of it. But just swear you're not drunk. I can stop any time. And I want to say something real clear. Our nation is drunk on the Babylonian influence. Our nation. And not just them out there. The church is drunk on this influence. And beloved, the scriptures are absolutely clear. This influence will mature. It will fill the earth. And this influence, it's not just a spirit, it actually is a full-on system that will have a localized government. You see it in Revelation 18. It will actually have a capital city by the time this is all said and done. It will be so uh, laced through all of the economics. And man, when you get to chapter 18 and you get to seeing all the things that, that's being traded through this, this economic feature of Babylon, you get down to verse 14, and it says they were, they were mourning because the judgment came because they couldn't do any more trading. And, and the last thing on the list of everything that's being traded in battle, Babylon is slaves. Do you know that right now in the earth, there are more slaves than any time in human history? And what am I pointing to? I am pointing to this. That that harlot, that system, that influence, the sin of that thing has come to maturity in the earth in a way right now that's never been seen before in human history and in the Western church, we're mostly asleep. And not just asleep, many are engaged in it that call themselves Christians and those that are not engaged are tolerating it. And beloved, I want to call us out of it. I want to call us into a righteous, purity, burning, and bright righteousness, loving Jesus. And I want to call us to alert, to be aware of what the Bible says is coming on the earth at the end of the age. This is critical for us in this hour. In the first service, I emphasized this point that the first time we see Babylon, it's the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. And the, the simple cornerstone to it is that the people, as they were building the Tower of Babel, they wanted to make a name 
for themselves. And selfish ambition is the central core facet of that spirit of the age to where James tells us in chapter three, he tells, he tells us where selfish ambition exists, exists every evil thing. And the full maturity, the full maturation of Babylon and the earth is a people living for self. And the call of the gospel is to deny yourself. Jesus said it really clear. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. And I was, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about how foreign that sounds in modern Western Christianity. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus' call is come and die and put all your self-preference aside and run hard after me, even if it costs you your life. And that message sounds so odd in America right now. It sounds so bizarre because we have self-everything. We have self-care. We have you know, self-counseling, all kind of self this, self that, selfie, all the self stuff. And I'm telling you, the scripture says this, at the end of the age, men will be lovers of self as the first thing in a list of sins that we practiced. And man, looking at this, I'm going, we have to wake up right now. We have to wake up right now. And there has been a burden in my soul and an alarm going off on the inside of me that I can't, I can't explain, but man, I can't get it loud enough right now. Awake, oh sleeper, and let Christ shine on you. And see, I'm not just saying like, hey man, I wanna come in here and smack you with the word. I'm saying this, beloved, I care about you, and I do not want you in this influence at all. Because Jesus, oh man, he's so worth living for. And the pleasure in Jesus is so stunning. It's so worth being abandoned for Jesus. And at the end of the age, he makes it so super clear that those that are in this influence to the church, he says, come out because I'm going to judge it. He says, come out of her lest you share in her judgments. So I wanna set the table with that idea. Now I want you to turn with me to Revelation chapter two. In Revelation chapter two, we see where Jesus, it's at the beginning of John's encounter and Jesus is giving John seven letters to seven churches. These are seven real churches that were on the earth in the first century that John had apostolic authority in those churches. And Jesus would appear, Jesus, when he appeared, he spoke to John to give these instructions to these churches. And in this one specific church that I wanna highlight this morning, this church of Thyatira, the Lord speaks a real direct word that goes right in with this issue of the spirit of Babylon. So to Thyatira, in Revelation chapter two, Verse 18, to Thyatira, Jesus addresses a sin problem that he wants to call them out of. And I want you to feel the weight of the words of the Son of God. Verse 18, Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass. Pictured with eyes of fire, he's burning 
in passion. He's burning in love. And the burning fine brass feet speaks he's coming in judgment. He says, I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. This church is doing so many righteous things, so many good things, and it's increased in its righteous works. But verse 20 says this, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And now look at this. He says, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. He says, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. This is our Jesus speaking, verse 23. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you, I say, and to the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I wonder what it would be like if Jesus showed up in our churches in America right now and preached that message. I'm telling you, there are many in the body of Christ who would tell Jesus, you can't preach that message because you don't do judgment. You can't preach that message because you're merciful and compassionate and you never bring retribution. You can't preach that message, Jesus, because you're good. And I would tell you this, he must preach that message because he's good. If he's good, he must judge sin. If he's good, he must point out what is wickedness. If he's good, he must judge unrighteousness. This is what defines him as good. That he stands against everything that's unlike him. And we need to deal with our image of Jesus lest we be found to have made a God in our own image and called him Jesus. Because we have to look at the real Jesus and see the way he thinks and the way he feels. And what does he think about sexual immorality in the church? What does he think about it? To one of the other churches, he said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a people that actually embraced sexual immorality as normative practice. He said, I hate the deeds of them. Here, he says this, that you've tolerated Jezebel. He says, I tried to get her to repent. She would not. I will cast her into a sick bread, and those who commit adultery into great tribulation, I will kill her children. Does it sound like he's mincing words, beloved? Does it sound like he's playing game? Does it sound like he's so compassionate he could never bring judgment? No, that's not Jesus. 
This is the New Testament. This is the Bible I'm reading. And beloved, we have grown so used to, to tickling and itching ears, teachers that'll just make us feel good and just pat us on the back and tell us how good everything's gonna be and you're gonna be blessed and next week I'll tell you, you'll be double blessed and after that is the triple portion. And beloved, I'm telling you right now, we are drunk. This got into me so deep because I'm, in a minute I'm gonna show you something. The first time I preached this message was 10 years ago. I was reviewing the notes from 10 years ago, and I remember the sense of shock I had about the pervasion of sin in our society. And as I read the notes just a few weeks ago, I was in shock because how dark it was 10 years ago and where it is today, it has gone exponentially darker. And we are like the proverbial frog in the kettle. We don't have a palate for this stuff. We don't want to hear that, hey, we've got to awaken, we've got to come to righteousness. And beloved, I'm just telling you, the hour is urgent. And there's a siren going off in my soul right now that's calling us to alert and calling us to awaken. All right, so he says this, I have this against you because you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Now we know the historic Jezebel, we, we, we know she was Ahab's wife. We know that, that in 1 Kings 16, that she worshiped Baal and Asherah. We know that she was a murderer of prophets. We know in the incident with Naboth's vineyard, she was full of greed and she wanted to steal that vineyard for herself. And she, she acted like a, this religious woman to set up a circumstance in which she could have Naboth murdered. We know that Asherah worship was, the, the worship of Asherah was celebrated through sexual orgies. We know that this woman was deeply, deeply perverse. And the Bible says of Ahab that he was the, the, the most wicked king that had ever been up to that time. And so when we see this historic woman Jezebel, we see these, these sins that were operating in her life. Now here's what's going on in Thyatira. That was a real church in the first century. And there was a real woman in the church. Now, whether her name was Jezebel or not, you know, there's, there's some question on that. It really doesn't matter. But what does matter is this, that she is identified by Jesus. And he says, you're allowing this influence, this prophetess, this teacher of the word to train people that it's okay to commit sexual immorality and it's okay to worship idols. And he says, I'll have none of that in my church. And so we see this woman Jezebel in, in Thyatira, which my opinion is that, that her name probably wasn't Jezebel, but that Jesus was drawing the, the comparison from the ancient Jezebel because this woman was operating in the same spirit. She was operating in, in the same sins and she was calling the people of God into it. Now here, let me just be really, really clear. So often people throw that term around, oh, that person there, Jezebel. Just because a woman has a leadership gift does not make her a Jezebel. Just because a woman has revelation in the word of God does not make her a Jezebel. I'll tell you what would make someone a Jezebel if they instruct the people of God that it's okay to commit sexual immorality and worship idols. 
I'll tell you what would make somebody a Jezebel, not having to do with gender, is if in a pulpit they tolerate the sin of sexual immorality and act like it's okay and wink at it and call it mercy. That's the spirit that's behind this thing. And I'm looking at it right now, and here's, here's, oh man, here's where the tremble is in my soul. Church people, drinking down the spirit of the age, the proliferation of pornography, the proliferation of immorality, and, and engaging in sexual immorality, and just saying, well, you know, it's an issue. It's just an issue, I just, you know, I was, We're all weak. And we're presupposing that because God is merciful, he will not bring judgment. And what we've done is we've actually imagined that the fact that God is merciful equals that he's complacent. And I'm gonna tell you, he is not complacent. I mean, really, he is not complacent. He is not in agreement with sexual immorality. He's not in agreement with a, 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 a spirit of lust where we're engaging, looking at things on the internet, looking at things in, in the movies, where we're engaging in that spirit. He is not okay with that, beloved. And we imagine because judgment is delayed that God is complacent, and he is not complacent. And here's the challenge in the church right now. We are in a society that is filthy, overrun with the spirit of Jezebel, and we imagine, well, I don't, I don't do it as much as they do. And that equals redemption and purity, and it doesn't. And I'm gonna tell you, I'm serious, with, with, it, with as much sobriety as I can, you've gotta come out of that. You must come out of that. You have to come out of sexual immorality. I, I'm talking about every version. I'm talking about looking at a screen and lusting. The, what Jesus said, he said, if a, if a man has lust in his heart for a woman, it's the same as committing it. I'm talking about that all the way to every kind of illicit kind of sexual sin you can think of. If you are tolerating it in your life, Jesus has a problem. I've had to sit before the Lord and had to ask the Lord to apply his fire to my own heart, to my own eyes, and continue to put my heart and my eyes before the Lord to ask him to purify me of every toleration of Jezebel. And the Lord brought it back to me. I remember this years ago. He brought it back to me. He said, what are you getting your entertainment from? Hear me. He said, are you entertained by the things that I died to redeem you of. See, toleration isn't the practice of it even. I'm calling you out of the practice for sure, but toleration is winking at it and acting like it's okay. When you have a situation, you go, well, it's just, you know, it's only got one sex scene. Hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. No, it's a big deal. And I'm not trying to be a legalist because there is a beautiful righteousness that's burning in intimacy and holiness with God that will compel you away from that. And I would just be honest with you in my own soul. I can tell when I'm living close to the flame of the Holy Spirit because I watch certain things. I go, oh, that hurts. I don't like that. But when I'm dull, I can watch it with the best of them. And then I walk away, I go, why was I able to sit through that without feeling the sense of the Holy Spirit convicting my soul? And I go, God, help. 
help. So he says, I have this against you. You've tolerated Jezebel. And I don't think this, I don't think, I mean, I think this, I don't think we understand how severe this situation is. Now, let me show you something. That spirit of Jezebel in full maturation is that Babylonian harlot, okay? What you see in Revelation 2 is a sort of a a small example of what that Babylonian harlot is filling the earth at the end of the age. Do you see what I'm saying? Now watch this. Flip with me to Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9, I'll tell you where it is in in the progress of the end of the age. It's at the very end. We're in the last three and a half years. Judgment events have been hitting the earth seals and trumpets, and, and what happens is this. There's been, there's been a, a, a massive expression of the judgment of God while there's also been a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Many have come to salvation, but there's a group that hardens themselves against the Lord. And in Revelation 9, we see this group that's hardened themselves, and I want you just to look at this. Verse 20, it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, look at this, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons, worship demons. They shouldn't worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Verse 21, What didn't they repent of? And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, and their thefts. Their murders, their sorcery, their sexual immoralities, and their thefts. What we see in those four sins, basically it's the root system, it's the the chief sins that's in the Babylonian harlot, that's in that spirit of Jezebel. I just want to talk about them just for a moment because I want to call you out of the toleration of these things in your life in any way. First is murder. They wouldn't repent of murder. And at the end of the age, there's going to be masses that are murdering saints. We see that the the harlot is drunk on the blood of the saints, but we see at the very end of the age, martyrdom is going to go to a place that the earth has never seen before. Well, we're already in the spirit of that in, in this hour. But murder, Jesus described murder, the sin of murder, as hatred in the heart. Hear me right now. Hatred in the heart. If you hate somebody, it's like committing murder. Have you ever had that situation where you had a person, they're just tap dancing on your last nerve? And you're just like, man, I can't stand that guy. But I'm a Christian, so I'm going to, you know, you just think, I just wish he wasn't here. So instead of getting into sin, I'll just ignore them. And what you do is you wish them away. And you set your life to ignore that person and keep them out of your life. Do you know what you're trying to do? Murder them. Because you're wishing they were gone. That's hatred in the heart. Christians are not to have enemies. There's people that are enmity, in enmity towards us, but we are to love even those who are at enmity towards us. We're to bless those who curse us. We're to do good to those who spitefully use us. 
And Jesus' call to us is to love even in the face of persecution. I'm telling you, if you're walking around in your heart and there's just those people and you just don't want to talk to them, you just wish them out of your life, you're operating in that same spirit of murder because you're really wishing them gone. Am I making any sense? See, the issue isn't the outside in, it's the inside out. What's going on on the inside? The opposite of of that spirit of hatred, spirit of murder, it's it's love, loving your enemies. Well, the next thing he says is they wouldn't repent of their sorceries. That word for sorcery is pharmakia. That Greek word is pharmakia. The idea is false religions and pharmakia sounds like pharmacy, where we get the use of drugs. And there is going to be a pervasion of drugs at the end of the age. This opiate crisis we're seeing where drug companies have gotten filthy rich on creating more drugs than certain towns could possibly get their hands on. And they completely source certain towns. Okay, you know this story, right? There's these little towns. They have like 50,000 people. And the the drug companies are putting into those towns because there's a massive epidemic like enough for a pill per day per person. No town is that sick. It's legalized drug trafficking. And beloved, I'm telling you, we're only scratching the surface on it. And that pharmacia, that drug addiction, and it goes with this, this sorcery, this false religion. These things are coming to a height at the end of the age. Thirdly, he says sexual immorality. They wouldn't repent of their sexual immorality. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. And fourthly, they wouldn't repent of their theft. The thing that empowers theft is the love of money and greed. And this is what I'm so aware of right now. You watch this. In the upcoming election, there's going to be a ton in the media about all these issues. But you know what people are going to vote for? Where's the money? If the economy is good... That's who's, that's who's going to be in, in office. If, if the economy is good at the time of the election, President Trump will be reelected, period. If the economy is bad, he will not be reelected. Because people in America vote for money. And anything that messes with our money, that's the devil. No, that's how we think. And in the church, blessed is a lot of money, cursed is not enough money. That's how we think, because the love of money controls us. I remember a friend of mine in ministry, he said, man, it's been a bad year. The devil's been attacking us. And I said, oh, yeah? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, our finances are down 15%. He goes, man, I've had to pray like every day. I go, I don't think you got a problem with the devil. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, that's God. He goes, what are you talking about? Our money's down. I go, yeah, but you prayed every day. The devil doesn't want you to pray every day. If if he knew you were going to pray every day, he wouldn't have taken your 15%. He would have given you 15% more. The one who took your money is God because he wants your heart, and he doesn't care about your pocket. My friend was like, oh, my gosh. And I'm just telling you, Human ambition, selfish ambition is so motivated by the love 
of money. This is what I was dealing with him in the first service about. I was just dealing with him and just saying, hey, have you waited to hear what God wants for your life or have you just gone for the success, the train of success? Because it seems so normal to go for the train of success. There's so many voices, so much pressure to just go for what's successful in America. Meanwhile, we won't wait to hear what the Lord has invited us into. I just wonder how many of us live so short of the promises of God because we're going in human ambition after what American success is instead of waiting on the Lord, hearing his voice, and lovingly obeying his word. And so often that greed, that love of money at the core, that root thing of the love of money, it compels us. We just go where the money is. Listen, you might be called into the, the business sector. Let me tell you something. It's not always God because they give you, you know, it's not always God to take the raise because they gave you more money, to take the new position because they gave you more money. I've watched people for 25 years in ministry, and they'll be serving God, they'll be in the local church, their family will be thriving, they will get an offer of a new position with a 10% raise to move to another city. They'll move their city to to the other city, they'll move their family to the other city, you know exactly what I'm talking about, what I'm about to say. They'll move to the other city, get the 10% raise, you check on them in six months, how's it going? Terrible. Well, what happened? Well, we don't really have any community. We don't really have a church. We really aren't, you know, we don't know where the Lord's at. We can't find the Lord. Well, did you go for the voice of the Lord or did you go for the money? Because that money will kill you if it's not what God invited you to. And and the point is this. God is happy to give you money if it will cause your heart to fall radically in love with him. And he's happy to take your money if it will cause your heart to draw close to him. You know what I think is coming for America? This is so unpopular. I think America is going to get ratcheted down. I seriously believe the Lord wants the heart of America. And right now, while we are just drinking down our financial success and we're inebriated on that, it's almost like he can't get our attention. But you watch it. If, 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 the, if the American money goes down, if the American economics goes down, we're all going to be praying. I won't be able to keep them out of the house of prayer. It's true. It's true. You know this. You're doing, I do the same thing. I hate to admit it. Man, I'm doing really well. Everything's provided for. All the money's there. Praise God. I'm just going to go and just bring the kingdom. And then when, you know, and, and I realize, oh, my prayer life wanes. But then when things are hard, I'm like, Jesus, where are you? He goes, I'm the one picking your pocket to get you to pray. That's where I am. That greed thing, beloved. First, First Timothy 6, 10, the love of money is, the root, is a, a root of all sorts of evils. James says it differently. He says selfish ambition, when that's there, uh, all sorts of wicked things exist there. These things are at the core of this Babylonian system. But this is really what I wanted to get to. I was reviewing this whole thing, and I was looking at this Jezebel, spirit of Jezebel, harlot system, and I was looking at my, my notes, and I'm reading through it, and I'm saying, what does it look like in the earth? I'm like, religious pluralism? Well, that was before the deconstruction movement hit the church. 
That was before Christian universalism took out several evangelical denominations. That was before inclusive um, theology, inclusivism, the theology of inclusivism, where several uh, denominations said yes, that homosexual, homosexual marriage is permissible, Christian denominations. So I, my big worry was religious pluralism. Meanwhile, in the last decade, there is movements that has normalized sexual immorality in the church, entire denominations. There are entire denominations that have basically turned into Christian universalist kind of denominations that always get to God. And there's an entire underground movement of deconstructionism where it's, you know, and this is where it is with the, with the millennials and, and the young people. A lot of times it's like, well, I want to rethink my faith. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the Bible aside, and I'm going to rethink my faith in light of the culture. I'm going to rethink evangelical Christianity, see if this is really a good thing. Listen, I am all for rethinking evangelical Christianity, but don't put the Bible to the side. If you want truth, anchor to the Scripture, and then look at everything we do and see if it looks anything like the first century church. I'm so happy for us to do that. But this idea that you just push the whole church to the side and you're just going to come up with a new thing that's you and God, that deconstruction movement is full of deception, deconstructing your faith. Anchor to the truth. Anchor to the word of God. You will find truth. And man, I'm watching this thing. But 10 years ago when I wrote this document, none of that was there. We didn't have worship leaders coming public on Instagram to renounce their faith in Jesus deconstructing their faith. And I'm looking at this thing, beloved, and I'm going, oh man, this thing has gotten far more intense. It's far worse than it was 10 years ago. I was sounding an alarm 10 years ago, and now I'm going, where have we gotten to? Where have we gone? But this is the one that got me. This is the one that got me. Because when I got to sexual immorality, this is what I wrote 10 years ago, and it's in the notes if you want to get them uh, uh, from our website. But, But this is just... When I read this, I didn't, I, I didn't really know what to do with it. So this is what it said. It said, uh, sexual immorality is seen in sexual tolerance. In our nation today, homosexuality is considered an alternate lifestyle and is promoted through our media, entertainment, politicians, and businesses. Homosexual marriage is legalized in two states. Sex before marriage is practiced as the norm among the young generation. Pornography is a multi-billion dollar industry. That was the height of the perversion that I could say 10 years ago. That was a shock 10 years ago. When I said that 10 years ago, people were beating their chest and weeping. We're 10 years later. I'm preaching the same message 10 years later. Homosexual marriage is law in 50 states. Transgenderism is being taught in our elementary schools. Gender fluidity is being legislated, and there are are forces pushing so that parents cannot tell their child if they're a boy or a girl. We have young adults walking around campuses who call themselves they, and if the teacher don't, doesn't refer to them as they, the teachers get censored. This is 10 years later, beloved. 
See, it was six years after this that rainbow stripe came up on the White House. And I remember looking at that thing and going like, what, what has happened to us? And 10 years later, the ancient boundary has been moved so far that there is so much peer pressure to agree that a, a, a boy can become a girl, a girl can become a boy. Beloved, where's the next 10 years going? See, because I came out real strong saying, we're asleep, we're asleep, we're asleep. And you're like, oh, yeah, they are asleep. No, we're asleep. We're asleep. And we have to wake up. And I don't, I'm not hitting this point on sexual immorality because I'm, you know, against homosexuals. Homosexuals need Jesus. It's need Jesus, just like fornicators and adulterers need Jesus. And I want to tell you something, church. We're going to have a homosexual revival. I mean, there is going to be a revival in the homosexual community like we've never seen before. And you and I in the church, we better be ready to love some people who have come out of the grave. And they may still have some grave clothes on, and we better be willing to love them. Because here's the deal, the religious spirit would have you think, well, just because somebody's come out of homosexuality, they need to be like perfect day one. And I'm going to tell you what, no, you're going to wrap your arms of mercy around them, and the love of God and the fire of God is going to hit them, and they're going to be purified and set free. There is a massive revival coming out of the LGBTQ community, but the church is not anywhere near ready. You know why? Because we're scared. We're scared to say homosexuality is a sin. So the church isn't ready because what we won't do is call them out of it. We'll actually pat them on the back in it. Yeah. 10 years ago, two, two states. Today, 50 states. 10 years ago, I was like, promiscuity is a bad thing. Today, they're teaching transgenderism in our elementary schools. Guys, where is it going? Where is it going? See, there's an unhealthy triumphalism. We've been talking about this for the last few months. There's this unhealthy triumphalism where we're all we're worried about is how we're gonna win, how we're gonna celebrate, how it's gonna make me feel good, Pastor. Come on, brother, tell me about my blessing. Tell me about my hundredfold return. Tell me about my double anointing. Come on, brother, tell me the prophetic word about how America's gonna be great. I'm telling you what, I don't wanna hear any of that. I wanna hear the word of the Lord. Yes. I want to hear what God is saying. And if God is saying that the kingdom is going to come in America, then I want to know how. And right now, there is a siren going off in my spirit. And here's what I'm asking you for right now. I'm asking you to take real inventory. I've been taking real inventory of my heart. I've been noticing the delusion on my own soul. And I'm saying, God, I want to come out of Babylon. See, the word to the church in light of this Babylonian harlot coming to maturity, the word to the church, it's the same as it's been for thousands of years. Come out of her. Come out of her. And the point isn't to get, you know, legalistic and, and, and judgmental. The point is with a broken heart of mercy to come out and call others out. And that's where we've got to live, beloved. 
Hearts burning in righteousness, burning in intimacy with Jesus, burning for the kingdom of God to be great, burning that we would lay our lives down so our king would have the reward of his sufferings so that millions upon millions would come to know Jesus. We've heard enough about our own calling, our own destiny, our own anointing. I want to know about his calling. I want to know about his destiny. I want to know about his anointing. I want to be called according to his purpose. And what we've done is we've pumped ourselves up on Christian psychology in America, and it's left us completely unprepared for an hour of trial and testing that's coming on the earth. And when I look across the nation right now, we're mostly halfway drunk and we're saying, I'm not drunk. And I'm saying sober up. Like really. And in our spiritual family, I don't care if it sounds crazy. I don't care if take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus sounds crazy. I was reading that verse in Matthew 16. It was messing me up because I'm going, this sounds so ridiculous compared to what is Christianity today. Deny yourself? I want to actualize myself. I want to protect myself. I want to prefer myself. I want to grow myself. I'm so sick of it. Self, 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 self. No, he called us to lay ourselves down the foot of the cross and let the blood of Jesus roll right over top of us till we come into that place where we realize we're not our own anymore. We've been bought with a price. We've been crucified with Christ. We, we continue to live, yet not, not, no longer I, but Christ. This is the Christianity that Jesus Christ came and died naked on the cross to birth. A people completely surrendered, poured out, and given to him, not drunk on the wine of this world. And so I'm calling us out of it this morning, beloved. I don't know what else to say except for amen. Let's stand. Hey, no, really, like, let's just ask the Lord right now. Don't go running to lunch. Just wait. We need to be saved. I don't care if you prayed a prayer one time. I just don't care. What does your life say? We need to be saved. We need to come out of sin, come out of the toleration of Jezebel. We need to come into wholehearted abandonment for Jesus, radical, reckless abandonment to Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, let's just pray.